And now it's time on Flame CCR to take a look behind the studio's green door to find out who is in today's chat room. Midnight, one more night without sleeping. Watching till the morning comes creeping. Green door, what's that secret you're keeping? And now, are you listening? And welcome to the chat room, and it's Norman here. And actually, I've talked to people quite a bit about my delight when I found that having moved our antenna to South Wirral, that a town called Chester appeared within our broadcasting coverage. So I was delighted when somebody who I met via an organisation called Link Up in Chester said, oh yeah, I'd like to pop up and see this studio you've been talking about. And hence today we have John Cheek with us. Hello, Norman. Welcome, John. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed. It's good to be here. My name is John Cheek and I'm originally from a strange land called South End on Sea or to give it its proper title, South End Mate, because down in Essex we have to finish off every sentence with the word mate. So- you know what I mean? mate yeah 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 so <laughs> you're an Essex man very much an Essex man I know but... a bit about Essex girls but I don't know much about Essex oh, men. oh yeah I've met one or two Essex girls in my time and all but these days I'm actually married to a girl originally from Bebbington from Town Hill Lane in Bebbington which is where Fiona grew up and so I'm already a little bit familiar with the Wirral I've been living in Chester now since the end of August 2011 and Fiona and I moved up to Chester from Essex because I'm now studying theology in Chester for the next two or three years. So I'm talking to somebody who, like me, would claim to be a southerner. That's right. I I grew up on the south coast in Bournemouth. I discovered a good number of years ago that there is life north of Watford. And you obviously discovered not only that there's life north of Watford, but there's a wife north of Watford. That's right. And uh, you've become fairly converted to the idea that the northwest is a good place to be. (laughs) Northwest is a great part of the country, and it's true what they say. The further north you go, the friendlier the people are. And I've been surprised at just how friendly the people are in the northwest. I'm the kind of guy who goes out in the morning, and I say good morning to everybody I walk past. And up here, people say good morning back. Yes. And I'm not used to it. There is a lovely place, isn't there? Absolutely. And I find Liverpool is a terrifically fascinating place. You know, it's a real passionate place. It's a bit like Newcastle. There's a great passion amongst the people. There's so much culture there. And I think generally that goes for the Northwest. There's so much of interest here, so much life, really compared to a lot of the Southeast, which is very fast, very aggressive, very competitive, and not at all friendly or interesting. And I say that as a Southerner. Yes, there are a lot of situations where people don't know each other because they get on the train and they travel in and out of London. They spend so much time on the train, they almost become zombies because commuting is horrific. And I've done a fair amount of that myself. And you lose that friendly atmosphere because you just stand, even in a crowded tube train, you don't smile at the person alongside you. And it's strange, isn't it? That's right. I mean, and people can be like sardine. You know, as soon as a train pulls into a station like Liverpool Street or Fenchurch Street, it's like a, a tin of sardines being 
being opened. And all of these people pour off the train and they're all very single-minded. They've got to get to somewhere else and they knock other people out the way. There's no politeness or anything like that. It's just sort of elbows out, out of my way kind of thing. Yeah, occasionally I dip back into it. Uh, last summer I took my wife down before the Olympics to have a look around the Olympic buildings and we went on the light railway around Canary Wharf. That was great fun. That's right. We were on a tube train and there was a lovely family. We think probably they were Lebanese. And I smiled across and she sort of half smiled back. But I thought, you've got to be a bit careful here, Norman. And then suddenly I had the urge to pray for her for quite a bit of that journey, three or four stops on the tube. I was praying for this lady who never knew that and praying for the guy and praying for the family and the kids. And I thought, this is really, really strange. But I had to do it. You don't even get to eye contact, dare you? That's right. Don't That's invade right. their eye space. No, let alone their body space. If it's anything of interest, I often get those urges to pray for people as well. There and then I just suddenly get the feeling I should pray for that person. And sometimes perhaps it's obvious, other times not. But I, I get that urge to pray for them. And sometimes years later, I can remember people whom I've prayed for in those circumstances and I can see them clearly and I think I'd better pray for them again, perhaps. But either way, just that urge to pray for them was so strong. I can still remember it years later and I can picture them very clearly. Yes. Awakened in the darkness For the lost and the unreached For long forgotten peoples In the clutches of deceit I'm confronted by my prayerlessness My weapons left to rust but if I run now from the battle, how could I ever face your son? I want to fight for little children, for the poor and the oppressed, whose lives spill out like water. In a barren wilderness I've had peace in my complacency But that season is at hand The war that rips into my heart Is the one that will ravage them Father God, the creator of the heavens and the earth Here I am, use this vessel as A tool to do your work Break my heart Help this soldier to his knees To persevere at this commission And secure the victory So, London, great place But on the other hand, I'm far, far happier up here oh, yeah. in a green and pleasant land yeah. called the Wirral and we can drive out into North Wales we can walk along the Wirral coast you've got the absolute mix of busy and industrial yeah. and beautiful and quiet that's right you've got the best of all worlds the big cities of Liverpool and Manchester the historic cities like Chester but also lovely countryside you know and Wales and Snowdonia in effect just down the road yeah so you chose Chester College to come to was that purely because Fiona comes from local or would there are other no. reasons for Chester. No, I think probably at the time Chester would have been one of the last places I would have chosen. At the time, this was around about 2010, the summer of 2010, I was on the process towards ordination of the Church of England. I went to a final selection panel in Ely in Cambridgeshire, a panel which lasted for three days. And at the end of it, I was told that they felt that I should wait 
that they weren't giving me a no, but that I should wait probably at least two years before going further on the process. That was three years ago. And at the time afterwards, I was reflecting upon why they told me to wait. And I was very aware of some of the other candidates who were there with me. They all seem to have degrees in one subject or another, which I don't. Many of those degrees which they had tended to be in theology. They had a background in theology, which I didn't. And so whilst I was thinking, well, I've got to wait for at least two years before continuing on the process to ordination, I ought to perhaps maybe do something about that. And it was in the August of 2010 that my wife just happened to be nosing around the UCAS clearing system on the internet, on their website, and the fact that theology courses in Chester were still available in August 2010 jumped out to her, and one in particular a theology course in community evangelism really jumped out at her and she said, John, this could be an interesting course for you. That was August 2010, and although I wasn't able to go on it that September 2010, I checked it out and it seemed great, and it seemed to be the sort of theological grounding that I needed at that point and so we moved up at the end of August 2011 and I've been studying theology in Chester ever since and I'm loving it so that was from South End mate and that's right mate yeah oh, yeah. okay right so you left the seaside and you came and found the Irish Sea uh, that's right it's a bit that's... colder the Irish Sea it's not so good for paddling I tell you that much well South End on the sea year on year it's the driest part of the UK it's not quite the hottest part of Britain but year on year it is the driest part of the UK and coming up to the northwest, I have noticed how much damper it is in this part of the country and I think I've even started to get a little bit of Qatar as well which I never used to have but hey apart from that i loving it in chester chester is a great place when you used to dagenham or basildon or cam the island to suddenly find yourself living in the center of somewhere like chester it oh fantastic it's like almost like dying and going to heaven maybe not quite <laughs> Chester is an interesting place. That is one of the things I love about Liverpool Seafront. The buildings are absolutely mm. magnificent. Oh, yes. And, and Chester itself as well. You know, the buildings are absolutely magnificent. Because, I mean, I grew up in Bournemouth and you know, yeah. Bournemouth didn't exist 150 years ago. They sort of built it up from scratch and uh, spent a lot of my childhood around the Kent coast, the other side of the estuary from South End, mate. Right. So sort of Herne Bay. Sorry. Yeah. Erm Bay. Erm Bay. Uh, Whitstable, Whitstable, yes. My, my yeah. aunt had a fish shop on the quay in Whitstable, and uh, I used to nice go place, down to Whitstable. the docks and do the cockles and mussels wheelbarrow yeah, trick. You yeah. Know? Fabulous place, Whitstable. Really is a nice sort of oldie-worldie type of fishing town, stroke seaside resort. Fabulous, Whitstable. My wife said to me, what are you going to talk about to him, with him? And I said, I had no ideas whatsoever, but she would be absolutely amused when I said we started talking about Whitstable. Oh, yeah. And Herne Bay as well. Herne yes. Bay is a nice little place. My uh, mum grew up in Herne Bay. Yeah, nice. Yeah. yeah. Very underrated places. I think places like Blackpool and Southend tend to sort of have a very high profile, but there's lots of smashing places. Round here as well, Lytham St Anne's is another seaside resort, like Whitstable, which is underrated. Very underrated, yet they're both smashing. I've always said I want to spend my life within five miles of the sea. And I know that A theme. lot of the time in my life, I've succeeded. I had two years in Worcester, which is more about 200-odd miles from the sea. But apart oh, from that... a nice place, Worcester. Yeah. yeah, Worcester's all right, yeah. But apart from that, I've spent most of my life within five miles of the sea. And I... 
I'm glad about that. There's something about it. Yes. Something relaxing about walking along a cliff, walking along a seashore. Oh, yeah. The, the, yeah. the rhythm of the tides and the fresh air. I love the fresh air. Well, the wife of the late Bobby Robson, the football manager, his wife, and she's still alive. She's a strong Christian herself and very much a practicing Roman Catholic as well. Um, she had a great old saying that he used to repeat in many TV interviews. And her saying was that everybody should either go for a walk in the woods or see the sea or look up at the hills every day of their lives. And if they did one of those things each day, it would make such a difference to their individual lives. I think it's a great saying. I really do. Yeah. You came up to Chester. You've been studying at Chester now for about 18 months or so. Yeah. months, And you've got another chunk to do. And that's right. Yeah, any, at least another 18 months to go. Any dreams and things from there or is it still absolutely in the moment and let God sort it out? It's still a case of waiting on God, and that's always the best place to be in one sense, waiting on God, trusting in God. But longer term, I feel perhaps possibly that maybe the ordained priesthood in the Church of England might not necessarily be for me. Who knows? But I am wondering if full-time evangelism is for me and if that's what I'm meant to be doing. And there's not many people who do full-time evangelism. There certainly ain't much money in it. I'm not going to get rich out of it. So I will really have to trust in God in that sense. But yeah, longer term, looking to just tell people about the good news of Jesus Christ. Because for everybody who's listening to this, each one of those people, each one of you listeners, will be loved by God, loved by Jesus Christ, loved to the point where he will prepared to die for you and i want to spread that good news to everyone and not only that but also spread the news of what god is doing in people's lives to publish his works the works that people are doing in his name to tell people about the great works of the salvation army or street pastors or all of these organizations that people are doing in Jesus's name to help others and to make a difference in society. I want to tell people these things. And I guess really that's why I think I see the future lying for me. But who knows? It's all in God's hands. 
Yes, it's all in God's hands, but yet it's also in our hands because I think God takes us and uses us as we are, which is actually what he's made us to be, and shapes opportunities around what we naturally are and what we're naturally able to be. Yeah, that's right. And sitting with you here, you're a communicator. Yeah, seriously, you are a communicator. I've got a big gob, yeah. Well, yeah, but it's more (laughs) It's more than that, mate. You know, all right, mate. Yeah, all right, mate. Yeah. yeah, it's more than that. You're a communicator, and yeah. in a trade which is communication, you know, yeah. be there, whatever that means. Yeah. I mean, I agree with you. There's not a lot of money in. But on the other hand, I've learned through, what now, 12 years of retirement, money is not a dominant part of the equation. It's an important bit, but it's not dominant. You can have a tremendous amount of job satisfaction, a tremendous amount of enjoyment, a tremendous amount of blessing without very much in your pocket. Absolutely. Norman, I see life as an adventure. I feel that God is looking to take all his people on an adventure through life. I know the old metaphor of faith being a journey is a bit of a hackneyed one, but I believe that God is looking to take all of us on a journey. I know he's looking to take me on a journey and I'm not looking to surround myself with lots of flashy cars. I'm not looking for three foreign holidays a year. I'm looking instead to go on that journey. And Norman, the best things in life are free. I'd rather have the adventure that God has got for me, even if it involves simple living living than rather be stuck in a rut but surrounded by great wealth having lots of money in the bank but utterly miserable and depressed because i'm stuck in a rut yet holding down a very successful job in the eyes of the world but that ain't success to me i held down a very very successful job and then the company started sinking and i thought they need me and i went away for a couple of days traveling down south and i suddenly realized no they don't need me and yes the company is sinking The Titanic started sinking the moment it hit the iceberg. That's right. It took a long time for it to. And the company I was with was starting to sink. And then I saw the opportunity of taking early retirement. And I saw the opportunity of doing community radio. And I thought, not a lot of money in it. But on the other hand, there's a whole load of fun in it. There's a whole load of meeting interesting people like yourself. And there's a whole load of opportunities of serving God. So, okay, boss, I'll sign up for it. And I'll just trust you. And 12 years later, it was the best thing in my life I ever did. I bet it was. I bet it was. And I bet you don't regret it for a second, Norman. Because you're doing God's work, you're doing God's will, and that is the best place to be in life, not just physically or even geographically, but emotionally and spiritually, being where God wants you to be, doing his will and his work is the best place to be. Yeah, it ain't glamorous, it won't make you rich, not financially, but in many other ways, you're a rich man. It gets me out of bed on a Monday morning. When Mm. you're retired, there is that temptation to actually think, oh, I've got off the rat race. I'll just tinker around. I'll do not much. And I'm retired. Yes. I actually was thinking back the last time I had a day when I wasn't involved in some way, shape and form with getting out of the house and being involved with radio and things was probably around about four weeks ago. So I've actually actually done a number of seven day weeks. Now, and okay, fine. Saturday is normally my day off. And where am I on a Saturday morning? Dragged you in. Yeah, on your Sabbath day. This guy, mate, who comes from a strange place called South End, mate. And uh, when would you like to come up? Oh, I'm free on a Saturday morning. How about that, Norman? Yes, okay, fine. I'll be down here and we'll have a good chat, John. Thank you very much. And it's a pleasure. 
It really is. Yeah. Well, it is good talking to people. And serving Jesus is not a drudge all of the time. Serving no. Jesus is just getting on and living life in a Jesus-focused way and interacting with people and taking the opportunities that you get. Here's to you, Mrs. Robinson. Jesus loves you more than you will know by Simon and Garfunkel. I do a bit of radio presenting myself in another part of the country and just the other week I played Mrs. Robinson by Simon and Garfunkel and to my knowledge they certainly weren't believers at the time this is back in the late 60s but Mrs. Robinson the theme for the film The Graduate was actually apparently the very first popular song certainly the very first popular hit to ever actually really refer to the person of Jesus and that to me is a Christian song and probably most people wouldn't think of it like that but it's one of the most well-known songs songs in the world from one of the most well-known films of the last 40 or 50 years and it's subjects like that that i'm very interested in very passionate about what is a christian song okay yeah. i get a lot of opportunities because i'm doing radio programs i might be sitting editing what we're talking about today yeah. that's all serving jesus you and i enjoyed that ellesmere port thing the other day i must that's do right. something on that for the radio because i want to communicate with people about this went on down in ellesmere port uh, there's a whole lot of stuff that i want to get people to be aware of you mentioned street pastors i know the man who set up street pastors in birkenhead and we encourage the man from Ellesmere Port to come up and talk about street pastors and get people interested. And was last... that Gordon who went up there? Yes, it was. Yes, yes. yes. Yeah. And uh, Steve Peck, who yeah. does street pastors in Birkenhead. And I was out at a friend's diamond wedding last Saturday. Uh -huh. Not many diamond weddings are around nowadays because of all the breakup of marriage. But I was at a diamond wedding and they had the usual thing up on the wall with various leaflets. And there was a street pastors double page glossy. And so I picked it up and I was reading it and I thought that'll be good I'll communicate that so actually this week I've turned that double page sheet around to a 15 minute program on the radio telling people about street pastors yeah. and that's part of communication isn't it yeah you see something on the wall which okay is just living in that place for anybody who happens to pick it up yeah. and I've taken the opportunity of actually putting it in people's ears out over 20 mile radius good stuff isn't it good, absolutely good 
Absolutely. That's what it's all about. You know, radio's communicating. Absolutely. And you're doing God's work. And I still think that the best activity in life is to do God's work. And in my case, I feel a strong need to do something exactly like that, to publicise what God is doing. Not just what we're doing as Christians, but what God is doing. But for us to be involved with God's work is the best thing of all in life. And as somebody, Norman, who spent his teenage years uh, far away from God, I was not a Christian. I never even thought about God. When you're not living with God and for God, life is so empty. I can't emphasise that enough. How underneath it all, those of us during the times when we didn't have God, when we didn't know God, when we were far from him, life was so meaningless and so empty. And the emptiness gnawed away at us. You know, for a long time, we weren't even aware of what it was, but it was that emptiness of not having God in our lives. And for anybody listening to this, if you don't know Jesus personally, my advice would be get to know him because knowing Jesus is real life and he will fill up your life and the emptiness will disappear. It will get to the point where your cup overfloweth so much that you know it's almost a case of I can't take much more because it is so full and so enriching and so thrilling. Living for Jesus, it is real life. Yeah, there's a little Bible phrase that says, pressed down, shaken together and running over. Really, the blessings that God puts upon us, gives us, I like that. And I like the thought of Bobby Robson's wife, who says, you know, every day, make sure you wander out in the woods, you look at a distant hill, you look at the sea. Those are all free gifts from God. Absolutely. Yeah, they're part of God's creation. They're free gifts. And the best things in life are free, Norman. You don't need titles. You don't need status. You don't need riches. Well, you need a little bit of wealth to get by, to to pay the bills, to put food on the table. But really, the best things in life are free. Yeah, I love walking the de-estuary. When I was working in quite a high-pressure job, I used to go down in the evenings with a dog and walk the de-estuary. Vastness. You feel absolutely insignificant. And yet, in reality, as I've felt a few times god made it for us to enjoy yeah you think hang on a mo but yeah god made the de-estuary for man to enjoy absolutely and and for each one of us isn't he a generous god absolutely and for people listening to this i would say he's made it for you as well however empty your life might feel however insignificant you might think you are as a person you ain't he's made the deestry for you he's made this whole world for you he loves you he wants to be in your life and he wants you to play a part in his work in his plans for mankind yeah So, at some stage in your life, you bumped into Jesus. Without going into all the murky past, No. how did you bump into Jesus and what change did it make? Well, very quickly, I'll cut to the chase. I was in my late teens. To be perfectly honest, I'd been up until fairly recently on on the edge of some trouble on the terraces. I'd sort of had a little bit of involvement with football hooliganism. I was not a nice person. Not long left school. I was working in a big government office in Southend, biggest building in Essex, working for HM Customs and Excise. One afternoon, I came back from lunch on a Friday afternoon in February 1988, and I sat down and I started work again and I encountered God at my desk and I had what you might call a religious experience at my desk that afternoon on a Friday afternoon in Alexander House in South End in 1988 and basically I met with God that experience lasted all afternoon 
and not another person involved with it or any literature or anything at all like that you suddenly felt god with you at the time i would have said absolutely yes there was nobody else involved but of course looking back i can see how god had had a hand on my life and i could trace it back to nearly a year beforehand when i'd heard a song called i still haven't found what i'm looking for by you too where the lyrics of i still haven't found what i'm looking for had really got me thinking Little did I know how much thinking I'd done because I'd done a lot of contemplation on this whole subject area of life and the meaning of life. And then finally, I sat down when I least expected it at my desk in an office full of people surrounded by people and God met with me. And it wasn't a case that I'd found God. I suddenly became totally aware of the fact that God had always been there. I hadn't found him. He had always been there and that he was everywhere. And I was totally convinced there and then of the presence, the omnipresence of God. And he was just there, not wanting me to do anything or believe anything or say anything. But he was just there. He had always been there. And it was like the scales had fallen from my eyes. He was there. And in the middle of a busy office with lots of people around me, God was there. And I had an experience which went on all afternoon. Heaven knows how I managed to get any work done whilst that experience went on. And I walked out of that government building at four o'clock that afternoon, knowing that life would never be the same again. How could it be when you've had an encounter with the risen Lord, with the living God at your desk, and you were totally aware of his presence, even more aware of his presence then than I am of sitting here with you in the studio now? That felt even more real then and more genuine than even just sitting here now talking to you and looking at you and speaking with you. It was that real. God was real and life could never be the same again. Life could never be the same again. That's a good phrase, isn't it? So then life became extremely easy. All of the riches, you became really wealthy, prosperous, etc., etc., because God was there and God showered all these things on you. I wish, I wish. For the next two weeks, life was a nightmare because having had that encounter, that had turned my life upside down, inside out and back to front. 
I mean, I became totally aware of the sort of person I was and the nasty bit of work I was. And I realised that I was a sinner. I realised that I was a nasty bit of work. And I realised that I'd hurt a lot of people even in my young years, that I told a lot of lies, I'd thrown a few punches, I'd thrown a few other objects at people at football grounds as well. I was a nasty bit of work. And when you come face to face with God, you come face to face with the sort of person you are. And for two weeks, I was devastated. This whole experience devastated me. And I'll, I'll tell you very quickly, it really wasn't until about a fortnight afterwards that I thought, I've got to do something about this experience. I've got to try and comprehend it somehow. And I left work early one day and I went to WH Smith's and I went upstairs to the religious books. And I had no idea where the religious books were. But eventually I managed to find the section. And there was a book there called Jesus, Me and You by Cliff Richard. And I thought, well, I've heard of him. And eventually I looked at it, I looked at it, and I put it down and I went away and I thought, I've got to go back the next day and buy it. And I went back the next day and I looked at it and I thought, this could help me. What it's saying could help me. And so I took this book, Jesus, Me and You, to the counter that lunchtime and I put it down on the counter and the girl looked at me and she looked at the book. She saw the title and she looked at me again, Jesus, Me and You. And she looked at me as if I was buying a dirty magazine from off the top shelf. She gave me such a look and very nervously I handed over the money and I sort of took this book home, this Christian book, and I read it between the pages of Mayfair or Playboy. No, I didn't. And this book really set out for me what the Christian faith was all about, because I equated this experience of God with Christianity or with Jesus. That's the only thing I could do. And I read this Cliff Richard book and it seemed to speak sense about this experience that I'd had. And about two weeks after that, I finally made a commitment, repented of my sins and put my faith in Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. Because you had to go through that understanding that in this sight of an awesome, holy God, we are pretty rubbishy, aren't we? Each one of us, every it, single one of us without exception. Well, certainly I know I am for a start. Yeah, so we've got to try not necessarily to polish ourselves up and put no. our best suit on and have a shave and have a wash and get the deodorant out. But we've actually got to go to God and say, look, Lord, sorry about this and sorry about that and sorry about that. And yeah, there are times, Lord, when I do lose my temper and I throw things oh, yeah. and I know I shouldn't do. So please, Lord, next time it happens, help me somehow to control this a little bit yeah there are times when i get tempted by this that and the other so please lord when i get in those situations just help me to get it a bit more right oh yeah yeah god says i'm glad you asked because i've been longing to do that for donkeys oh yes yes and it happens with all of us all of god's people every day we are still in that place of need where we need god's help and his grace and his forgiveness. Because even now, even having recognised what a miserable person, a miserable sinner I was, day after day, hour by hour, minute by minute, I get it wrong. And even when I get it right, am I doing it out of the right motives, the best motives? Probably not. So I even need God to help me get my motives right. Yeah. But he's strong enough and big enough to do it. That's right. He's strong enough and big enough to do it because he's a heavenly father. And he made us in the first place, as well as making the deestery. He made us as well. Oh, yeah. So he knows how we tick. And therefore, yes, he as a heavenly father can help. The song I used to sing when I was a teenager, which goes back to the 1950s. I'm sure you don't remember those well, John. It says, happiness is to know the Saviour, living a life that's in his favour, having a change in my behaviour, 
happiness is the Lord. And yeah. it's what it's like, isn't it? Having a change in my behavior. Because, yeah, when we come to God, we've got to expect him to say, well, okay, fine. But think about doing it this way. Think about thinking this way. That's what it's all about, isn't it? And that is the right way of living. That is the best life of all. Because before I had that experience, my life was so empty. And for many, many people who don't have God in their lives, who don't know Jesus Christ as saviour, their lives really are empty. They They might deny it. They'd be very reluctant to own up to it. But there's many, many people out there whose lives are so empty because God is not present. Well, he is present. They just need to open up the door of their heart. Let him in completely. Yeah. So, okay, you've given me a few thoughts for some songs on the way through all of this. So, as well as being John, and well as being so passionate about life, Jesus, what else makes you tick? Uh, I still like a bit of football, but I hardly ever go these days, simply because it's too expensive as much as anything, and I've got so much else on my plate. Love music, love films, love poetry, love that sort of thing. Yes, big fan of so-called Christian music, but what really is Christian music? I don't know. What is a Christian song? Something that aspires to God, and often songs can be taken on two levels. Songs reflect love between two people, but sometimes they also can be applied for love between a person and God. And we have a whole load of songs that in some way, shape and form, yes, there are reasons for playing it because they say something. And even the ones in the charts, they do relate. And there's a lot of groups out there who are actually singing songs, but seeking, seeking God, needing God. Yeah, that's right. I was listening to one of your shows just recently and the DJ played a new track. Well, it's new at the moment as I speak by the lead singer of The Killers, Brandon Flowers. And that basically was, for me, a Christian song or even a song of worship. And I thought, well, Brandon Flowers, to my knowledge, isn't a believer. But I thought maybe he is a believer with a small b because the lyrics that he wrote to that song showed such great insight. And I know Bono of U2 is a Christian and he's gone on record as saying that the music that interests him the most is music which is either running to God or trying to run away from God.
Bono of U2 is a Christian. That for him is the most interesting stuff of all. And I can see that definitely. You know, he talks about stuff that John Lennon wrote in response to Bob Dylan's Christian conversion as being really, really interesting. Even at the time, John Lennon was amazed and shocked by Dylan's sudden about turn and conversion to Christ. And it's stuff like that which really interests me enormously, even though it might not necessarily be in inverted commas Christian music. What is Christian music? Yeah, I dip into all sorts of music because I love all sorts of music. There's something about music. God made music. God made music to lift our thoughts. God made music to open up bits of our emotions. God made music to open our memories. God made music to feed our minds. And Absolutely. Somebody the other day sitting where you're sitting and they were into lots of different sorts of music and they said, well, God at one time in my life said to me, I like music of all sorts. And I thought, yeah, okay, I'll go along with that statement. God likes music of all sorts. You know, it doesn't have to be a particular sort. God likes music of all sorts. That's Norman, good. he is a creator God. Yeah. He created all of these art forms for a reason. And certainly with music, I do believe there is good evidence in the Old Testament that music is to do with the prophetic and that many of the Old Testament prophets that we're aware of, like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Amos, and others like King David, there would have been a musical dimension to it, that it would have been the musicians who would have been the prophets of the nation of Israel. And certainly if you read through the Psalms, you could almost say that some of the Psalms were almost like blues numbers, and many of them were written to be used in prophetic words by King David of Israel himself. So I think there is very much a truly spiritual dimension to music, even, dare I say it, a prophetic dimension to music, even today's rock and pop. I believe that the best in popular music, deep down, is a search for redemption. I really do believe that. Yeah, so, personally, as a devotee of radio, um, our statistics actually say 70% of what we do is play music, and we play music of all sorts. And it means something to somebody somewhere and we just don't know what you've obviously been involved a lot down through the years with music bits up until about a year or so ago i helped to run the greenbelt christian arts festival press office for quite a number of years also as well when i was down south i did a lot of religious broadcasting with bbc essex a lot of fond memories of working from their studios which is the birthplace of radio actually chelmsford in essex and i did a lot of religious broadcasting through bbc essex these days i present a faith and ethics program on another radio station Threadshift radio down in south cheshire and i do a weekly faith and ethics program there which is about 50% music 50% talk content and I'm involved with other musicians as well here and there and I, I write music reviews which are published both in publications and online I've had reviews published in Record Collector magazine in the past and in other uh, periodicals that's an old-fashioned saying other publications I'm hoping to get a book published later on this year which very much has a music theme as well I won't say too much at the moment it's very much with music and the background so yeah i love music i mean my own personal favorites are you too but when i was a boy growing up as well i loved the jam with paul weller lots of spiritual lyrics lots of searching in in lyrics of songs the who song the seeker great song won't get fooled again again that's people searching for redemption and song Time to 
pretty intensive lively chat john thank you very much thank you norman thank you for the honor in case people are still working out because they only tuned in halfway through this is actually john cheek who is a student at chester at the moment in the middle of a course studying theology but specializing in evangelism and is involved with a number of activities around churches in chester and i personally but this is completely up to two people one being john sat here with me and the other one being God, who's also in the studio with us, isn't he? I personally Amen. do trust that this isn't the last time you'll hear John on a flame. What yes. on earth that means, I have no <laughs> ideas whatsoever. But uh, it was a great opportunity chatting with you today, John. And thanks and God bless you and Fiona, your wife. I always remember Fiona because my favourite daughter-in-law is called Fiona. So I will remember Fiona as a name. Well, God bless you. God bless both Fionas. And God bless anybody listening to this. God has a great adventure ahead of you if you'll let him get you on that path if you get moving with god it's the best work you can do and it will be a life of adventure maybe not glamour maybe not of financial riches but it's the best life you can live amen thank you john i couldn't add to that in the slightest apart from saying i found that a about 55 years ago and uh, every one of those years i have proved it true Mm. so from my point of view it's tried and tested as well tick in the box amen thank you norman god bless you thank you john we've closed the chat room door but please tune in next time to flame ccr on 1521 medium wave for more from green door studios chat room green door hope you enjoyed this program which is under the copyright of Burrell Christian Media Limited. Details of the Flame CCR broadcasts and webcasts are on our website www.flameradio.org. Thank you for listening. Flame.